The following is a message by Dr. John Fesco of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, please visit us online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. If you would, let's open our Bibles to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. And as the faculty is continuing its uh, series uh, through the Psalms, uh, I've chosen for this morning uh, to speak to you about Psalm 1. So let's uh, give our attention to the reading of God's word, Psalm 1, which of course we just sang. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. I think we could probably begin by just simply asking the question, who is the righteous man? Well, the psalm begins in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of of scoffers. Psalmist tells us here essentially that the way that a person is blessed is that as he steers clear of ungodliness and wickedness, he, is, he walks instead in the path of righteousness and therefore is blessed. Like C.S. Lewis's description of the path to hell, I think that what the psalmist here is saying is that it's not just a sudden cliff face where you walk and then all of a sudden you find yourself neck deep in wickedness. Notice that the sinful man first walks and then he stops and he stands and then eventually he sits with the wicked, the sinners and scoffers. In other words, think of how an ordinary conversation might go. You stop along with someone as you're walking along the road and you hear them, overhear them talking about something and you walk a bit and then as you slow down because you want to more carefully consider what it is that they're saying and then as you sit down you might think, well, let's, let's talk about this over a cup of coffee and let's, let's sit down because what happens is that you are slowly but surely uh, taken into the conversation. Notice that's the way in which we fall often into wickedness. Over the years, I've heard the confessions of a number of people, both in the church as a pastor, whether in pastoral counseling, or perhaps even in the broader media, when they describe how it is that they find themselves in deep sin. It's not that you just wake up one morning and you decide, for example, to become a serial murderer. I mean, I think, for example, of Ted Bundy's confession that what was it that got him into his uh, rampage was essentially dabbling in pornography at first, and that one thing led to another, that before you know it, he's a serial rapist and murderer. He 
walked in the counsel of the wicked. He stood in the way of sinners and he sat in the seat of scoffers. So then the blessed man steers clear of evil, but of course this is only half of the equation. Notice what verse 2 says. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The blessed man, or at least in the light of what we read in verse 6, the righteous man takes great delight in the law of Yahweh. Now keep in mind here, this is not simply a reference to the Ten Commandments, but here law is essentially a reference to instruction or teaching. And so this means that not only does he delight in the instruction of the Lord, but he constantly meditates upon it, constantly thinking upon it, constantly reflecting upon it. And not only does he meditate upon it, but he even makes it the subject of prayer. And that as the godly man, as the righteous man, as the blessed man reflects upon the teaching of the Lord, we see that as he meditates upon it, it inevitably produces fruit in his life. Verse 3, he is like a planted, uh, I'm sorry, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its seasons, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So notice the great contrast of the wicked man who first walks, then stands, then sits with the seat of scoffers, but the righteous man instead meditates upon the instruction of the Lord. He reflects upon it, and as a result, there is fruit in his life, and that he yields his fruit in season, and his leaf does not wither. So notice, of course, the simile there of the fruit-bearing tree. And that, notice that the fruit that the godly man produces is the consequence, not the reward, of his delight in the Lord. It's the consequence or the effect of his delight in the Lord, not his reward. When a tree is nourished, it yields fruit. Likewise, when a righteous man is is nourished by the instruction of the Lord, the natural consequences of such is the fruit of righteousness. But another observation that we could make is that when the psalmist says that uh, everything that he does, he prospers, we shouldn't understand it as some sort of crass, materialistic uh, prosperity gospel. Uh, He is not talking about a wealth and health gospel here. Rather, he's talking about prosperity in, as it should be understood in the light of the rest of Scripture. Now, this is something that we'll discuss in a moment. But keep in mind that given the psalms, uh, psalmist's use of this simile of the fruitful tree, that we should take the point that the meditation upon God's instruction also does not immediately produce results. Just like a tree must be planted and it must take time to grow before it yields fruit, so too the righteous man's prayerful meditation upon uh, the law of the Lord takes time. One scholar says this, he says, The habit of prayer, this incessant meditation on God's law, is not supposed to be something immediately useful. Trees do not bear fruit right away. They must first eat uh, eat amply of the earth and drink deeply of its water. Such nourishment, nourishment must serve first to build up the tree. The fruit will come later on when it is supposed to. 
The life of Christian prayer and meditation knows nothing of instantaneous holiness. It is all a matter of perseverance and patience. Some trees do not even begin to produce fruit for a number of years. So notice this contrast, if you will, the gradual descent into sin versus the meditation upon the law of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord that gradually and slowly produces righteousness, holiness, by which the psalmist characterized it as as a fruitful tree or as fruit upon a tree. So we see this contrast. Well, what happens, therefore, to the wicked man? What happens to the one who sits with the scoffers? Well, verse 4, the psalmist tells us that because the wicked hate the instruction of the Lord, notice the antithesis with the blessed man, they are blown about like chaff, the leftover bits of the harvest. And so then what awaits the wicked? Those who hate the law of God, verse 5. The wicked, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So the psalmist here looks to the future, to the final judgment, and he explains that the wicked will not stand. They will suffer the wrath of God. But by contrast, in verse 6, as the psalm ends, notice what he says about the one who delights in the law of the Lord. What does he say about the one uh, who meditates upon the law of the Lord day and night? He says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You see, the psalmist says, the Lord knows. The Lord knows who belong to him and who it is that shall stand in the congregation of the righteous as well as who it is that will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. The wicked, the one who walks, who stands and then sits with scoffers, who hates the law of God, will be judged. But the one who delights upon the law of the Lord, who meditates upon it day and night, he prospers and he shall stand as righteous in the presence of the Lord. Now as we reflect upon what the psalmist has written, I think we clearly see two ways. The way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And we see both the characteristics of the righteous man as well as the characteristics of the wicked man. But once again, I want to ask the question, that which I asked at the beginning of the message, who is the righteous man? Do we too quickly descend upon the psalm and say, I'm the righteous man? Or, perhaps a little bit more humbly, I want to be the righteous man. I want to prosper. Perhaps in the effort to be egalitarian and to improve the Bible of its uh, patriarchal views or its so-called patriarchal views, uh, a number of translations render the opening verse, blessed are those, which is ultimately a distortion of what the text says. I think in trying to say, well, we don't want to say blessed is the man. That's kind of uninclusive. It doesn't consider women. And so they say blessed are those who do not walk with the scorners or sit and take counsel with the wicked. But beloved, what this does is this distorts the message, especially when we're asking the question, who is the righteous man? 
How so? Well, in both the Hebrew and the Greek translation of this passage, the word for man is not the generic noun for man. In other words, a term that can be used to indicate human beings. But rather, there is a particular man in view. Ha'ish, the man. Blessed is the man. So again, I want to ask the question, who is this man? Can it be Adam? What about Abraham? Moses. Why not Moses? Or maybe David. Well, maybe not David. It would be kind of self-serving for him to write about himself in this way, perhaps. Okay, Solomon then, maybe. What about Solomon? Beloved, no matter how many saints that we can think of, how many Old Testament saints that can come to mind, each and every one of them, no matter how righteous they might be in certain circumstances, all have the problem that they are all sinners. Adam fell. Abraham, tell them you're my sister. Moses, precluded from the promised land. David, Bathsheba. Solomon, thousand wives. Idolatry. How is it that anyone is righteous? How can anyone lay claim to these promises? I mean, can we not all say that we have all fallen short of the glory of God and therefore none of us can be blessed? None of us can stand in the congregation of the righteous. Well, Beloved, how is it that anyone is righteous? The answer comes from the earliest chapters of the Bible when uh, God declared Abraham righteous by faith because he had faith in the promise of the Redeemer to come because of his faith in Jesus Christ. Who is the righteous man? It was Christ, beloved, who did not walk, who did not stand, and who never sat in the council, in the way, or the seat of the wicked. Moreover, it was Christ who delighted himself in the law of his heavenly Father, as not only was he completely and perfectly and totally obedient to it, but, beloved, he uh, meditated upon it day and night. What did Jesus tell his disciples in John 4, 34? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus frequently withdrew from the crowds and his disciples so that he could pray and so that he could meditate upon the will of his Father, the instruction of his Father. And indeed, I think Jesus is most certainly like that tree that is planted by the streams of water and that yields its fruit in season. You certainly see this imagery in the book of Isaiah when Isaiah says that a stump or a shoot shall come forth from the stump of Jesse and it shall produce fruit. Now, beloved, this is absolutely crucial because if we miss this, then I think we will fail to see our source, the source of our salvation, of our life, of our sanctification. And that we cannot and will not become righteous by meditating upon the instruction of the Lord under our own power. We are in and of ourselves incapable of being righteous. We have no righteousness of which to speak. So to come to the word of God apart from the mediatorial work of Christ 
and the power of the Holy Spirit is to try to feed ourselves when we don't even have a mouth. What does the psalmist say? I think what the psalmist's message ultimately says is that we must look to Christ by faith alone as not only will Christ save us from our sins, but he will fill us with the Holy Spirit and enable us to be like that tree planted by the streams of water, that tree that yields its fruit in its season, that tree whose leaf does not wither. It's only in Christ, by the power of the Spirit, that we can approach the instruction of the Lord and that we can delight in it, that we can find satisfaction, we who thirst for righteousness because of that God-given thirst for righteousness and have it quenched. It is only in Christ, the righteous man, that we can produce fruit like the tree planted by streams of water. What does Christ say in this respect? John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Beloved, it is Christ who is the righteous man. And here's an interesting exercise. Save it for later today, maybe your devotions, whenever it might be. But read Psalm 1 and 2 as if they were one psalm. Notice that you have the righteous man who is blessed, which it then segues into the ascension and the inauguration of the kingship of the Messiah and the judgment that falls upon the wicked those who refuse to, 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 you know, to kiss the, the, the son and the, the salvation that comes upon those who take refuge in the Messiah. But bottom line, look to Christ by faith, meditate upon his word, pray to Christ that he would manifest his righteousness in you. And remember that like that tree, our fruit production will not always be instantaneous. It takes time. And sometimes we will struggle with sin. But we must begin by confessing our sinfulness, whatever it might be, and patiently wait upon Christ through the means of grace to conform us to his holy image. But at the same time, we must fill our hearts with his word. Meditate upon it day and night and not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Oh, that we would instead walk in the counsel of the Lord and stand in the way of the righteous and sit in the seat of those who fear the Lord. And, but, but apart from Christ, we will undoubtedly, undoubtedly begin the descent into that sinful conduct that is repudiated at the beginning of the psalm. Therefore, beloved, we must constantly seek refuge in that righteous man. I want to close with a portrait, if you will, one that will hopefully enable us and help us to see this passage in the scope of the rest of the scriptures and especially in the light of Christ. In the garden temple of Eden, the first Adam stood in the presence of God, his father in the midst of of a host of fruit-bearing trees. 
in subsequent temples, the high priest would stand in the presence of God. His father, as he was flanked by the temple menorah, which was a lighted almond tree, and later golden palm trees that were etched upon the walls of the temple. Psalm 92 likens the righteous people of God, like Psalm 1, to trees, but more specifically to palm trees. Psalm 92, verses 12 and following, the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are never full of sap and green. Or they are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Here the psalmist was painting a prophetic picture of the future by employing the very architecture of the temple itself. What was that prophetic portrait? To what does Jesus liken the godly uh, person? To a fruit-bearing tree? It's this imagery that we see uh, reappearing in the closing chapters of the Bible, in that in the book of Revelation, it is none other than Jesus Christ, our great high priest, the last Adam who stands in the midst of his heavenly father, surrounded by the saints, righteous people of God, those who are planted by the river of life and yield the fruit of the spirit in season. In other words, do you see the connection that Jesus Christ stands in the midst of his saints who the scriptures liken as fruit-bearing trees? Beloved, rejoice that Jesus Christ is the blessed and righteous man and that he, by his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, makes us what we have been declared by faith alone in him, a righteous and fruit-bearing people. Seek refuge in the righteous man and the righteous man will produce fruit in you. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Father God, we give you thanks for the righteous man, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are grateful that he did not uh, sit, he did not stand, he did not walk in the counsel of the wicked, but rather he set his face like flint towards Jerusalem, determined to, to be obedient to your will, Indeed, he alone meditated upon your law day and night, and he fulfilled it on our behalf. Oh, Father, we pray that even as the second psalm tells us that we would seek the righteousness, that we would seek salvation, that we would seek redemption, the forgiveness of sins in Christ alone, that you would enable us by your spirit to kiss the son lest he be angry. And that we pray that as we draw near to Christ, as we draw nigh unto him through the meditation upon your law, upon your teaching, upon your word, that you would, by the power of your spirit, through the outpoured spirit of Christ, that you would conform, uh, conform us unto his likeness and that we would yield the fruit of righteousness. That indeed you would fill the entire earth full of the fruit of Christ. That we would be a fruit-bearing, God-glorifying people. We pray and ask all of these things in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. Copyright 2009, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way, and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this broadcast on our website is preferred.